Welcome to it. It is a little after three o'clock on a Monday afternoon. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy Matthew Raftery. Matt, I lost my key card coming in. Yeah, you you had good mojo going. Uh, I, thank you for saying that because you know what I was just about to say. You know how I've been coming in here every epi- every show in October, and I have said I feel like I'm kicking October still. I'm just like you know life happens, and sometimes you look up and you look down, and you look up and you look down. I've been rocking through October. I got right outside of the door, patted my pockets and said, I just had you. I turned that car upside down, dog, and was like, Matt, I need you to do me a favor. <laughs> I need you to come open this door. Ah, uh, man, but welcome to it. It is our Monday episode of the Talk That Talk radio show. We have about as full of a show as we can get. I believe we have... I'm gonna be honest. On here, it says that we have about an hour and 35, 40 minutes. We'll see. We typically get hung up on topics. So we'll see what happens with life. Um, my mom didn't send me a new tip in, but she has an old one. And I think this is probably the last one that I'm gonna use from this old batch. But let's go ahead and get started with my mom's tip in. My dad already let us know beforehand that he's probably not going to send us a tip in today. Busy, busy day at work. Random is all hell. Uh, do you know that my dad works at a government facility? Like a government security facility? I didn't know that, no. Yeah. Shout out to my guy. Shout out to my dad. Um, But random is all random. My mom's tip in for today is every next level of your life will demand a different you. I'll read that one more time. Every next level of your life will demand a different you. So... Let's get started with the show. Again, if you are watching us on Facebook Live, we appreciate you. My mom actually just hopped in the room. We appreciate you as always. If you guys would like to join us on Facebook Live, you guys can do so at the Talk That Talk radio show. You guys can pretty much type in the Talk That Talk radio show across the board, and you guys can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, Instagram. Uh, what was the one I just mentioned? Facebook. The only place that would be different would be our Twitter. It is at Talk That Talk LV. Other than that, we're going to hop right into this show. We're going to hop right into some football talk. The Raiders got back into the win column yesterday. I was in the building. You watched from afar. What did you see? Uh, I saw a team that did what they needed to do. Plain and simple. I mean, it was – We I think we may have talked about this on Thursday. Sure D- this is one of those games you don't celebrate if you're the Raiders because you know what the expectation is coming in. The – the only acceptable result is a win. And Raiders won, I believe, pretty convincingly. Uh, 38 to 20, I believe, was the final. 38 to 20. Uh, 21 and nothing, fourth quarter. And I'm happy that you actually said what you said because I'm ready to get directly into some of these hard topics. Um, Josh McDaniel said coming into this, this game this week, he said him and along with the guys knew that it would come down to the fourth quarter. Good teams shouldn't say that with the Houston Texans, right? Good teams should just understand that that's 
part of the expectation is closing out games. Like a different, I mean, different sport, but same analogy along the way. I mean, that was the expectation with last year's Lady Rebel team. And that's where they really shined the brightest was the fourth quarter. And they had leads. And they, I mean, you could tell whether it was, it was probably a a heavy dose of conditioning, um, but also just mental strength as well. They understood that it was time to lock it in the fourth quarter. Now, granted, they may have had a couple rocky first quarters and first halves that you look up and you go, come on now. But when they needed to lock down. So with the Raiders. Lady Rebels. Okay. Okay. They Bring a, that, yeah, yeah. Bring yeah. Your, yeah, I like the point. I like the point. Bring it around. I like it. But, um, like I mean, we followed that team all year, and we kept saying, yeah, the fourth quarter is where this team is whooping everybody. Right. Because everybody is just worn down through the first three quarters by this team, and then they, they obviously do what they do. Now with the Raiders, I mean, the fourth quarter was their best quarter yesterday by far, and they put their stamp and their exclamation point down on the game. Uh you know, I I think I probably turned the game off with the uh, I think when it was like thirty one to twenty, I was like, all right, I see how this is gonna go. They they gonna finish us off, and then turns out the last touchdown was another crib call in the in the uh, Death Star. Yeah, man. I was like, all right, so y'all y'all do that on defense too. I, I appreciate that. First but. ever pick six with Deron Harmon too. We talked after the game, and he said that ball was going directly to his mom. He said, yeah, it's not even a thought, not even a question. Back to back home games, That's by the way. Death calls. Yes, and you know what's funny? Somebody did mention that uh, in the press conference after everybody had walked out. Uh, somebody was uh, contemplating whether it was the f- – no, no, they questioned when the last time the Raiders had a pick six. And somebody in the room was like, what about Amik Robertson? And everybody was like, that was a fumble recovery. It just never touched the ground. He popped it up, and Deron Harmon was a part of that play as well, but Deron Harmon caused that fumble, causing that uh, ball to pop into the air. But as you said before, second grip call of the year on defense, but it was the first pick six. Deron Harmon, you're at the heart of both of those, so congratulations, my guy. Uh, First of all, too, let's speak about Deron Harmon for a split second. Uh, Josh McDaniels, Patrick Graham, teammates, everybody has talked about Deron Harmon since he's come into this uh, locker room. And one of the main things that they've said about him is you could tell his professionalism when he comes in. You want to listen to him. You want him him to rally the troops, him to lead. Uh, just kind of what have you seen him? I mean, let, let's be honest. The secondary isn't perfect still. But it has been vastly improved, and, and I think a lot has to go to this veteran, right? Yeah, I mean, that secondary has taken – Pretty notable steps forward comparatively to where they've been in years past. Um, I mean, just a couple years ago, people were talking about this Raiders secondary maybe being one of the worst in the league as far as um, teams be- being able just to take shots on them and, um, you know, being able to, you know, if they notice that the Raiders are kind of lined up in man or uh, they notice some soft zone coverage that they can they can really take shots deep on the Raiders uh, just because of that lack of experience in the secondary, which... I mean, not really much of the Raiders' fault. I mean, they had a lot of young guys in that secondary room. I mean, you had a lot of rookies and and second-year guys trying to find their way. And, I mean, that's, I think, helped bring down how many points they're allowing per game because that was another kind of storyline in years past was it was never really about the offense. It was more so can the defense just hold hold up and kind of, you know, get a little bit of separation for for the Raiders. So... Overall, I mean, it's making steps forward. Now, they've still got a lot, long way to go, obviously. I mean, this team is still 2-4 and four at the end of the day, and you're still looking up quite a bit at the AFC West going, yeah, Kansas City's up their ways, and um, 
maybe even the Chargers, you know. But I mean, no, the Chargers lost by double digits to Seattle yesterday. So, which I knew I should have. I, I thought about how it. I said the Chargers are going to lose games that they shouldn't. Yeah, I've anticipated that all year in our Pick'em League, and I looked at this week and I said, Geno's going to beat them. And I said, Nah, they can't let Geno beat them, right? I thought about it. I knew there was going to be like one massive upset. That's why I was trying to figure it out. I was like, maybe it's Pittsburgh against Miami. Maybe. It almost happened. Did you bro. Did you watch that game? It almost happened, bro. They only lost by six, which just annoys me any more. Every even more so. I'm I, when at what point can we restructure? Is it December? When can we start restructuring primetime games? Yeah, we got to change this. Get some more school. We got to change this. Like you know how frustrated I was to to. Look at my schedule on Saturday, and for them to tell me that my on my side of the world that my ten o'clock game was my Packers and the Commanders, I said I don't want to watch this. What are you laughing at? I'm serious right now. I buff it up. The I final, don't want to watch that. I buff it up the final score of that game. You know what's funny about that game, and this is about the Raiders, but I'm gonna vent. Um, I have no emotion. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I, I watched that game. I watched Terry McLaurin score. I chuckled and I said, "Yeah, it sounds about right." So nothing about that game yesterday surprised you one bit. Packers losing, mm, anything like that. Packers losing didn't surprise me. Um, I guess if I had to pinpoint something, that one clip where Aaron Rodgers is literally and the funny thing is, I don't know if he's talking to a player on the field. I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and say that it's not the sideline but when Aaron Rodgers looks on the field and you literally see him say what are you doing some people may want to ask Aaron no what are you doing I'm not mad at that either <laughs> but somebody also brought this up to me shout out to my homegirl Taylor T brought this up to me and I think it's valid when she said that we need to simplify we being the pack we need to simplify the offense couple that with the what are you doing Aaron Rodgers might be questioning the intelligent le- intelligence levels, intelligent levels, bad intelligence level of his teammates. I think that's happening. And like you said before, these teammates that he has now, they weren't on your team when you did some of the great things that you did. So yes, you're Aaron Rodgers, but at a certain point, some of those young bulls are going to start pushing back. Yeah. I, don't know. I don't think I don't think they're going to push back this year, no. but it depends on how bad this year gets. Depends on how short that leash is next year. Well, we know one of Rodgers' favorite targets, at least in years past, kind of shined a little bit in Allegiant Stadium yesterday. Way to bring it back. Devontae Adams, man. Oh, let's be honest. Devontae Adams ended up having eight receptions for uh, 95 yards, but he, he had one from Derek Carr before Derek Carr went down. And Derek Carr talked about it after the game, and he, he uh, you, know what's, you know what's weird? Derek Carr has taken a lot of unfair scrutiny, right? And I think one of the things that – we have learned to find out in this in covering this team is that there were some questions about his toughness about how often he could stay on the field and things of that nature and uh football is a tough game football is a, a hurtful game and you could just tell that every time he's questioned about injuries or missing time or anything like that um it's almost like he gets uncomfortable it's like he tries his best to stay in his, his regular self, but he gets uncomfortable. Because uh, I believe him when he says this, but he said, uh, he kind of chuckled, and he said, sometimes in this league they get you. He said, they got me right in my rib. <laughs> he said, so I'm down there. He said, I never want to come up for a play. He said, but I'm down there. He said, and I can't catch my breath. What did I just say about rib injuries? Yeah, he said, I can't catch my breath. He said, so by the time I could catch my breath, 
it hurt to breathe in. <laughs> he was like, so I had to come to the sideline. But to his credit, he comes to the sideline. He starts throwing immediately. Jared Stidham was in for one play. It was a handoff to actually the star of the game. Josh Jacobs, third straight game of 100-plus rushing yards. He's, I believe, according to Willie Ramirez from the AP, I believe he is the second Raider running back to do so. No, he's the second Raider running back to rush for three or more touchdowns in multiple games. And he is the third running back in Raider history to ever rush for 100-plus yards in three straight games. Doesn't sound like a guy that's going to be on the trade block anytime soon, huh? You know what's funny? I, we talk about it all the time. You can say whatever you want about, about being in the moment and how would you react to certain things like that. I want – if we can build a sports dictionary, like how do you deal with trade rumors? Josh Jacobs. Just put a picture of Josh Jacobs. Just leave – Josh Jacobs from the 2022-23 NFL season because somebody actually shout out to Brian Salmon. Uh, he actually mentioned it as well in the press conference. I don't think I've seen Josh Jacobs not smile this year. Yeah, Josh. I think Josh interpreted those rumors like, "Oh, so y'all really want to trade me? All right, watch watch what you're going to trade away." And then, you know, I think the Raiders are looking back at it now like. Yeah, that's probably not the guy we want to trade. Like, we may want to go, we may want to trade, but it's not going to be him. Like, it's and no, we're not trading him. Like, I think he's become more of a integral part of the offense. He's kind of that go-to guy when the Raiders get in trouble on offense. Where, when in doubt, just give it to Josh. Like, Josh will figure it out. And it's it's good to see him getting the heavy dosage that he's getting in the run game because. It reminds me of kind of what the Eagles were doing last season in the second half of the year, where they weren't putting Jalen Hurts in the go save us now mode. They were just just take care of first and second down, or really just take care of even second, sometimes even third down. Right. We're going to have a pretty run-heavy attack at, uh, on teams. We're going to lead the league in rushing. We're going to you know lead the league in yards per play and all this other statistical category because of our run game. And... I mean, we saw what happened last year. The Eagles went on a massive run in the second half of the year. They won their way into the playoffs and looked fairly impressive. I think maybe a little bit of that's happening now um, via Josh Jacobs, where hmm. that offense is clicking because of Josh. The offense is able to extend drives out because of Josh. We're able to, or the offense is able to um, stay on the field longer, give their defense more of a rest. You know, that that was probably another one of the big reasons why the defense always felt like they were struggling a little bit is probably because they had to be on the field quite a bit because a lot of those offensive drives like some of granted some of those were you know touchdown drives and all that right a lot of the offensive drives the last couple of seasons were three and out three and out so i'm going to give you a lot of numbers in this in this next portion of the of the dialogue here but josh jacobs ended up rushing for 20 or rushing 20 times for 149 yards and three touchdowns that is the first three touchdown game for him since can you remember Rookie season? Ooh, season opener. Denver. How you like that? Um, so, what was it? 144, 154, 143 yesterday. I mentioned Devontae Adams, eight catches for 95 yards. He didn't score in this game, but Mac Hollins did. Mac Hollins, that catch across or in the middle of two defenders leaping in the end zone. 
I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I kind of see. Shout out to my Florida man fact checker. Shout out to Salim Dweck uh, for just being. This is this is the fun part about covering sports, right? Like we all understand sports. We know sports. We're comfortable in our sport, but unless we're covering a team, you're probably gonna follow your team, and that's the way that it goes. I've heard so many stories about Mac Hollins from Salim Dweck, obviously being a Miami Dolphin fan, and he made you want to root for the guy and now you get here and you find out well i'll be damn mac is a pretty damn good football player and that's what you find out about this about some of these guys hunter renfer also came back had 55 yards on three catches the reason why i wanted to bring all of these numbers back up is because when i bring up Derek carr and him getting hurt on that opening drive i believe the second or third play of that drive these are the games that Derek Carr haters don't want to talk about yes the numbers may not seem flashy Derek carr had one throw yesterday that I literally said, what are you doing? What are you doing? I know he wants that one back. Now, I told you before, I was at SoFi week one. He wanted a lot of those back. I know he did. So we've seen Derek Carr go through ebbs and flows throughout the year. I know that they needed 21 points in this fourth quarter. I know that it was only, or excuse me, that it was 17 pardon that it was 17 to 20 coming in or excuse me coming into that fourth quarter not the point Derek Carr ended up going 21 for 27 241 yards and a touchdown after watching what I watched yesterday I'm not saying that to give the ball to Josh Jacobs less keep doing what you're doing he only touched the ball 20 times on the ground 23 total Let's say that Josh Jacobs didn't have seven more than seven yards per per touch on the ground. Let's say he ended up around 80. Do I think Derek Carr can give you, I don't know, 30 of 39, 330 yards and an extra touchdown? Yeah, I do. These are the games that aren't talked about when it comes to Derek Carr. But let's be honest, the Raiders would have lost this game if they wouldn't have had Max Crosby on the defensive front. Mad Max. Holding down the D-line. Let's just be honest. I, all right, so blessings to this game because we've been able to talk about this game for a vast majority of the portion that we needed to without actually looking at my notes. I don't believe I wrote down Max Crosby's name until the fourth quarter, and then Max Crosby's name is on about four of these lines and about a six-line span. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was dealing with yesterday. So on third down, Max gets a tackle for a no game, right? Not even a tackle for a loss, but he gets a tackle for a no game. There's a false start on a fourth and short, the immediate play after. I I did tweet it out, and I said Allegiant Stadium was loud. We understood it. Max Crosby is on that side. That false start is Max Crosby's. That That's solely his. That that belongs to him. And then on the very, very next drive, keep in mind, I just talked about the, the, them having a, a hard time getting off the field on third down. Houston started the game five for six on third downs in this game. They ended the game. Actually ended the game as a whole. Two, or actually a lot. Seven for 13. So that means after the five and six start, they went two and seven the rest of the way. Max Crosby ended up getting a pass deflection on the final drive for – well, the second to final drive on Houston because you know it came on a following play pick after six. that third down. Pick six. Max Crosby was at the heart of everything, man. And I actually had to tweet it out, and I was hoping somebody was at home watching it, following the live tweets, and they responded to me, and it did. 
I was watching the game, and after that pass deflection, I looked up. I think it was a pass deflection. I looked up. And I'm watching the game, and I tweeted it out. I said, did Max Crosby just tell the offensive line that I'm a bad man? Somebody tweeted me back and said, yeah, no, I saw it too. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I wasn't tripping. I just want to make sure I didn't go crazy. But the Raiders absolutely lose this game, even with everything that I just said on the offensive end, if they don't have Max Crosby, because he definitely elevated his game in that fourth quarter. What you got, some? No, nah, I mean, Max, Max writes a story by himself. Like, you know, I mean, people just look up and go, well, that's that's Max. Like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> I, I mean, the funny thing is, I, you know what's funny? I seen Josh Jacobs talking earlier in the game, and I can't think of which cornerback he was talking to. And he was talking to him early in the game, and I was just like, hmm, I wonder how much that amped him up. I feel like not that Max, not that Max doesn't give his all at like all the time he does, but I feel like sometimes Max is a pro bowler now. I feel like sometimes Max gets into the motions of I don't know what it is. I got Aaron Donald is another way like that. It's like, what are you doing, fam? Like, I think you can get past everybody that's in front of you at times. And then I feel like somebody says something to you. And I think that's the worst mistake you can ever make, especially a defensive lineman. I think that's the worst. Imagine talking to Ndamukong Sue about anything. I've been very, very honest on this show. I've told people before, met Giannis before, I've met a lot of people. I walked by Ndamukong Sue and was like, that man gonna kill me. Yeah, what? <laughs> what? How do you cover sports if you're in Detroit? Like, how do you cover sports if you're in Tampa? Like, how do you cover him, bro? Anyway, I don't know, man. But Max definitely uh, made his presence felt when the team needed him most late in that fourth quarter on the way to a 38 to 20 win over Houston. The team is now two and four on a year. They are one and two in the division. The reason why I said that, even though this wasn't a division game, is because right now they're tied for third in the AFC West. Both Las Vegas and Denver are 2-4 and four on the year, but the Raiders own the tiebreaker in a couple of different departments. They have the better division record, and they own the head-to-head as of right now. I had something else for football, I thought. Did I? I don't know. Oh, I do. You talked about being on the bottom of the totem pole. That's literally, ex- that's almost exactly what Josh Jacobs said after the game. I believe uh, either Willie Ramirez or Brian Salmon asked this question in terms of uh, self-satisfaction, right? Being able to come back from the offseason and, and, and deal with some of the things that he dealt with and now to have the best stretch of his career. He said it's hard to have self-satisfaction because obviously we're still on the bottom end of the winning pole. And then it's still a long season. If I don't play well the rest of the season – then everything I did up to now doesn't really mean anything. The biggest thing for me, man, is to get into the playoffs. I want to go on a run and actually feel what that experience is like. I don't know, man. Raiders need a lot more wins in order to <laughs> have some playoff hopes. But I don't know. As of right now, where does this team stand to you? Uh, Still has a lot of work to do. That's probably the best way I'd characterize the it. The offensive line is looking better, though. Yes, they're still two and four. At the end of the day, I still look at it and go, oh, you're still two and four. Yeah, you still got – I mean, they're, right now the Raiders are in the show-me phase. Like, you can tell me all you want. You're going to have to show me, though, before I, I start buying stock in it. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this, but did you see this video, this picture? We're going to get to baseball, too, at the end of the show. But uh, did you see this picture? It has Dodgers 2023 lineup. 
It had it had Mookie Betts, it had Freddie Freeman, it had Trey Turner. No, I it think no, it didn't have Trey Turner. It had Carlos Correa, it had Mike Trout, it had Aaron Judge, it had Shohei Otani, it had Gavin Lux, Will Smith, and it said the Dodgers are gonna go hundred and thirty two and thirty and lose in the NLCS. Careful now. Careful. <laughs> Careful. I saw all of that and was like, the Dodgers would be the team to have that lineup, and the Dodgers would somehow find a way to to <laughs> underachieve with that lineup. Never mind. Um, you know what? This is random, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell these random stories before I hop into this next topic because we're getting into UNLV football right now. Uh, oh, I lied. The Raiders are headed to the road. I need to I need to let everybody know that we have Thursday to talk about it, but the Raiders are headed to New Orleans this weekend. I said what I said about Jameis Winston probably coming back soon, so I'll keep a very, very close eye on that. You think Jameis is back this week? I just think Jameis – I think Jameis wants to prove a lot of people wrong. And I just hope that Jameis doesn't put himself in a dangerous situation trying to do so. If Jameis has a bad back, I want Jameis to sit his ass down. No. Oh. My dad did send me a tip, and it's baseball related, so we'll get to that at the end of the show. But uh, I was actually going to talk about Kenny White Sports. All right. So it. I'm going to talk about Kenny White Sports for a brief moment because our Mountain West, some of our Mountain West picks uh, went live late last week. I believe it was Friday, Thursday or Friday, one of those two. And um, yeah, man, I had fun with it. I'm going to be honest. I had some fun with it. Me and Alex White back on the saddle. We're back doing what, what we're used to doing. And uh, I went one for two. I went one for two. For the UNLV game or just as a whole? As a whole. <laughs> as a whole. I said San Diego State was absolutely going to cover that seven points that they were given. UNR, rather. I said, oh, okay, they're going to cover that. If you look at UNR, they've lost their last five games by an average of 21. San Diego State needs something to go right. They better cover this seven points. They did that. I told you I was staying away from the spread with UNLV. I told you, I didn't want no parts of that. This team had been outscored 82 to 14 over its last two games. I wasn't finna be made a fool of. I said, but you know what I do like? I like the fact that they're going to South Bend to play a team that averages less than 20 points per game. So even if UNLV doesn't score, they're not going to get scored on a lot. 47 and a half, give me the under. I'm confident in the under. Under for who? Needless to say, UNLV covered. Yeah, I told you that was going to happen, by the way. It was f- – you know you know what? I'm going to be honest. Being into this field, especially having the, the, the sports knowledge that I have, learning from Kenny White and Alex, uh, I'm learning how to think with a better's mind, too. And I watched that game, and we saw how that first quarter went. 23-7. to 23-7. to seven. In favor of the uh, the Fighting Irish, I'm gonna be honest. I sat there and I looked at it and I said, "You know what? I'm not worried. I'm not worried." I said they have 17 more points, well, 18 technically, so I'm not too worried. That start of the second half, that touchdown that they scored that they took off the board, that was the only time I got nervous. I said, once I saw that touchdown, I said, "Oh, it's over." I said, "They're they're guaranteed over," and I didn't mean the game was over. I mean, no, just in my betting mind. This game is going over. It was absolutely over. 
I think Notre Dame scored 44 by themselves. The final score was 44 to 21. As I said before, UNLV was gifted 25 points coming in. So first thing that Kenny Mayne said on Peacock was UNLV covered. So I, I don't know, UNLV covered. But UNLV did not look right once again without Doug Brumfield. Yeah, nah. Um, <laughs> he said, yeah, nah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, what, it, that's what it is. I mean, but it's the truth. I did kind of, I, I thought about it. I was like, you know what? Under is not a bad play. I did take under, but I can't. But I came back with. Uh, it was during the game. I took came over because okay. I knew the under was in trouble. I was like, "Oh, we got to get out of this." Smart man. So, um, and then obviously I told you I have the twenty six and a half. I'm like, "You're giving me how many points with this team?" Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll take it. All you can give me. Yeah, I feel like you're. I feel like you're always gonna take that with you and Ovi. You. That's just a principle. Like I, I may take that with almost anybody. Like almost four touchdowns you're gifting me before we even start the game. All right, bet. Um, as far as UNLV, I thought we were done with the Kiwi Carousel. I really did. I thought we were done with it. And it reared its ugly head on Saturday again. And I just look at, these are the games that I look at Marcus Arroyo and I still ask, bro, what are you doing? Why is Harrison Bailey in the game? Now, granted, Harrison Bailey didn't play all that bad. Not the point. That's not the point. I have a quick question, random, because I'm, I'm going to let you get back to the point. Do you think that that's his uh, college moment, his college football moment? Like when his grandkids ask him, like, what did you do? He's going to – no, I'm, I'm – <laughs> That's poor. Wait, where's the I'm, Bailey? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, it was it was in South Bend, though. I, it may be one of the memorable ones, but the kids, are, if they're smart enough, they're going to be like, oh, Daddy, so you all won that game? He'd be like, no. Nah, we we, we covered – I got the ticket to prove. I hope. I hope not. I please hope, don't have that ticket. I hope and not, if you do, please don't show your grandkids. No, no, no. Just keep that under wraps. Yeah. Okay. Um, back to the point. QB cor- QB carousel. You're absolutely right. I'm gonna f- try to find a number on that for you as well. Yeah. Harrison Bailey played great. Not the point. If you're Marcus Roy, you rolled with Cameron Friel to start the game. Unless Cameron Friel comes out and throws four interceptions, at that point, yeah, you can rock with Harrison Bailey. Until then. This is Cameron Fields' game to lose. In my in my opinion, it's Cameron Fields' job to lose because now all of a sudden you have told the opposing team, I have no idea what quarterback I'm playing. The Notre Dame looks at that and goes, oh, this game just got a whole lot easier. We know they're indecisive at QB. We know that they're indecisive at the head of the snake. Mm. So if they don't even know what they're doing at the head of the snake, oh, we got these boys now. So I got that number for you. I do. It, to me, I would have rather Cameron Field play the entire game from a confidence standpoint. If nothing else, you still don't shake Cameron Field's confidence because now all of a sudden if you're a quarterback, we talked about this uh, the past couple of years when Marcus Royal was really doing it with like uh, King and Oblad and then he had you know uh, Justin Rogers come in for you know snaps and all that. We talked about it. We said – the only thing this does is make a lot of things worse. It shakes a quarterback confidence because they don't even know if they're going in a, for a certain play or if they're coming out for a game or they for a play. They can't make a mistake. They got to be flawless. Also, it messes up the timing of the offensive line. The offensive line don't know who they're blocking for. They don't know if they're blocking for Harrison Bailey or if they're going to block for Cameron Freeu. Now, I understand there's a massive gap, and we talked about this last week, between Doug Brumfield and Cam- uh, Cameron Freeu. That's obvious. But... As a coach, I would almost have more respect if you said, you know what, I'm going to roll with Cameron Frill 
good, bad, or indifferent, unless that bad is really bad. Then and we like need to make a change. That may be the only time we make a change. Until then, it is Cameron Fields' job to lose. Harrison Bailey will play in support. Well, Marcus Arroyo, you just kind of talked about it. He's proven that he does what he feels is right in the moment. And I, I think that could be, I don't know, because you know what's funny? You want to be able to adjust. We 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 kill coaches the most for, that don't adjust, right? However, I think of a person like Mike Tomlin. Granted, NFL coach, college coach, but still, I'm going to make my point. I think of, I think of somebody like Mike Tomlin mainly because – I look at his preparation, and if I'm making that many second, secondary or second-guessing changes during the game, I really don't trust my preparation because what did I do all week? I don't care if you go out there and have two bad series. I watched you all week. The fact that he – and again, to mark – is it to his credit? But to Marcus Arroyo's credit, I guess he's been saying that that was the plan. Was for both to get reps. I don't know. You make sense of it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> That's why I'm not a fan of it. Because, like I said, I would have rather Cameron Friel just had the, the game in his hands the entirety. And whatever comes about it, comes about it. If you score one less touchdown drive than you, than you have if you have two quarterbacks – fine but wh- the only reasoning I can come up with as to why Marcus Arroyo does this quarterback carousel thing is I think Marcus Arroyo is so locked in and so focused on the short-term success with that you're going to sacrifice the long-term results you're not going to get great long-term results by doing this because you're going to get guys that get frustrated you're going to get guys that want to transfer there's a reason KO's not here anymore hmm he probably saw the writing on the wall and said, "Oh no, we ain't doing this." I heard, but also, we can we can kind of delve into it a little bit. It's not just the quarterback position. That's the reason why a couple of guys aren't here anymore. I will give you this number: twenty-six games. Marcus Arroyo has coached for UNLV. Fifteen times he's changed quarterbacks. Mid-game. That's alarming. Like, really alarming. I don't know, man. It makes sense to him. But UNLV couldn't overcome a lopsided first first quarter. Excuse me, 30, or excuse me, 20, 30 combined points. There it is. 30 combined points, 23 to 7 in favor of Notre Dame. UNLV, I mean, let's be honest. UNLV just didn't have stuff going their way in the first half. They had two catches that I remember specifically, both made by Ricky White. One of them, he was called for offensive pass interference. The second one, he fumbled in the middle of the field. And you wonder if he won the turnover battle in a game that they lost by 23. I think that that's one of those stats that it's a stat, but it's kind of one of those you look at a little bit different because you look at it and go, well, yeah, they won the turnover battle. They also had two of their punts blocked, which turned into two Notre Dame touchdowns. And they had a kick-catch interference in the first quarter. All of that in the first quarter. Oh, yeah, I looked up. I said, oh, we're still in the first quarter. Oh, bro. It was the not... longest first quarter. In it, it felt like it. Uh, I, I think I watched somebody. Maybe UNLV punted at one or attempted to punt at one point in time. And as you said, it was a block punt. And I looked up, and it was like nine minutes left. And I was like, we played six minutes? Like, I've been covering this game for 25 minutes already. Right. Uh, and then really what showed in that second half is 
uh, kind of what you would expect. Like UNLV's defense started deteriorating a little bit that fourth quarter. Adam Plant played for anybody that wanted to know. Yeah, I mean that was one of those like. Well, I don't know if we'll ever know exactly what the injury was with Adam Plant, <laughs> but he just missed the Air Force game. That's probably what we're the most we're going to get out yep. of it. Um, I looked at the fourth quarter, and this was kind of where I said, oh, this this may be the over that I want to take because I noticed UNLV's defensive line was getting pushed back in the yep. running game. That Notre Dame, those rushes that they were getting maybe – two to three yards at in the first half, those were now turning into five, six, seven-yard carries. And I just kind of pieced it all together. I said, well, Notre Dame's probably going to start most of their drives at midfield or better. Mm-hmm. They're getting about six to seven yards a carry. We know they're probably not going to pass the ball the, at the situation. They're probably just going to keep it on the ground. And we know UNLV's <laughs> defensive line is only getting tired, more tired. They're not going to be able to stop Notre Dame's run, and I thought at maybe at one point in that fourth quarter, I th- I thought to myself, Notre Dame's bound to bust a big one open because of how tired UNLV's defense is getting. Well, let's give a little bit more credit than the Courtney Reese backup running back Courtney Reese, who started in place of Aiden Robbins. He broke two of them. Shout out to him for breaking two of them. He broke one of seventy-four yards in the first qu- in the first. One second. Yeah, first first, qu- first quarter, right? First quarter, I thought, right? Yeah, 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 first quarter. First quarter, you're absolutely right, Matt. First quarter, and that was on a play where Notre Dame jumped off sides. Of course, that penalty was declined, and then he did break off a 47-yarder. That one came in the four- in the second half. That was in the third quarter specifically. Yeah. Had to figure out those numbers, but I wanted them. But uh, another thing I had to kind of highlight, I feel like we've talked about all this first hour, and again, if you guys are joining this radio show, we appreciate you guys. If you are watching on Facebook Live via Talk That Talk Radio Show, we appreciate you. If you are listening to the podcast version of this, wherever you may be listening to it, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you may be listening, uh, we appreciate you once again. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio, my guy, Matthew Raftery. I feel like this first hour, almost this whole, whole first hour, it seems like we've discussed running, right? A lot of running backs, a lot of running numbers. That should be in UNLV's nightmares at this point of the season. Do you know what UNLV has given up over the last three games? For In terms of rushing yards. I know for sure against Air Force it was, I think, 420 yards. 406. 406. It's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, I looked at that number about seven times. I said, this is rushing? I'm, it's going to be over 800. I it know. is. Keep going. 900 under 850 slightly under 845 832 832 okay. over the last three games you want to guess the touchdown number i mean shoot air force put up what four or five of them things i thought it was six i don't remember i, know. I don't remember i think it was six the i air, do the air force had brad had brad had three Oh hell. Okay. Uh it's high then. Brad had three or four. Notre Dame had a bunch. I know that. Um I'm gonna say they gave up ten. Twelve, Matt. That's even worse. In the last three games. They're Matt. giving up they're giving up an average of four touchdown rushing touchdowns a game. Yep. And what? over the last three games, UNLV has given up eight hundred and thirty two rushing yards and, and over touchdowns. And over two hundred and fifty yards on average a game. That's that's embarrassing. I told you to make sense of Marcus Arroyo earlier, and you told me it didn't make any sense. So what do you want me to say? Yeah, no, it still don't make sense. The only <laughs> thing that will make sense is if this team can make a bowl game. Then, it, then it'd be like, all then right. all is forgiven. For I mean, it has to be because it, it has to because be. Marcus is going to look up and go, 
Oh, so when was the last time y'all went to one of these? Oh, okay. I was shocked. I don't care the last time you went to them. The answer is my year. Right. It doesn't. I don't care what happened before this. The answer is my year. Two thousand what? All right. <laughs> what? I, who? What coach was that? Right. Anywho, uh, <laughs> this is where the arrogance. This is where the arrogance kicks in. I like it. Uh, but no. In, in all seriousness, UNLV couldn't stop the bleeding late in the game, as you said before. Their defense kind of got picked apart early. Uh, Michael Mayer. That dude's a bad man. That's a bad dude. That's I was, a bad. I saw him. Man, I saw him. Bro. I saw him play against BYU. I said, "Oh, this dude is a problem." That one-handed catch. I don't think he could see the ball. He didn't have to. He had to guesstimate where the ball was, which, to me, I'm. I think it's more impressive than the catch because he couldn't see. So the fact that he even made contact with the ball is like that was instincts because you couldn't see it. So. I don't know, man. I, I I know that we've seen some crazy catches in the NFL. I mean, uh, in college football this year. I believe that one-handed interception on the sideline is a catch of the year to me. But this is one of the ones that is not. It's not going to get talked about, and that damn well should. That catch was incredible yesterday. I uh, or Saturday. That catch was. I feel like we just solely need to talk about that catch. <laughs> uh, Michael Mayer ended up ending this game with 115 yards on six receptions and a touchdown. He did all that in the first 30 minutes. Dang. I don't know, man. One of those games. I covered for you this weekend. You did. I did. Big Before shots. I get to that, why do I keep forgetting these next games that these guys have coming up? Sorry about that. But UNLV plays San Diego State this upcoming Saturday. Oh, I lied. I lied. I lied. They're idle this week. Next Saturday, November 5th, is when they will take on the San Diego State Aztecs. Snapdragon Stadium. I like the name of that stadium. You think they get right against that game? It's a get right game, right? For who? The fact that you had to ask for who. I'll say this. UNLV better hope, because especially because Doug Brumfield uh, was asked about, well, I lied, Marcus Aurea was asked about Doug Brumfield uh, homecoming, and he said that he's passing his test, but it's still some light and noise issues. Doug Brumfield was seen at homecoming with shades on. I'm going to say this. UNLV is idle this week. UNLV better pray to whoever they pray to that Doug Brumfield passes his test. I think he'd be all right. You got to buy I think, I think so. You but I, he has to get this week of practice. Well, not this week. But that week of practice before that game, he has to. Yeah, I mean, you'll get – I mean, it sounded like he was almost okay to play against Notre Dame, and it was just like, mm, let's get it like one more week. So let's not send you out here against these – We ain't going to finna do what, what Miami did to Tua. Like, we ain't going to do that to you. So, uh, yeah, no, I think, you know, this will be the week he fi- he finishes getting right and all that. and then I think What would that be, three weeks? Yeah, and then he'll be, he'll be back. Three weeks. I think he'll be Three back to normal. That sounds about right. Be I back to normal. This sport is so brutal, bro. But, I mean, we look at it, like, they really only have one somewhat tough game I would characterize left, and that being probably Fresno State. And even them, they're dealing with a quarterback deal of their own. They don't know if their starting quarterback's going to be back. I don't even know if he came back this past weekend or not, but I know for the longest time they were losing a bunch of those games because they were missing their starting quarterback. So, I, I don't know. Like, if he's – I'll say this. If he's in the game – And he, still not back. 
dare I say, these last four could still all be winnable for UNLV. For one way or the other, they could still, UNLV could make a case to go win a lot of these games. I said seven games, right? Yeah. That would mean winning three of the last four. That's pretty good. It's not going to happen. I still I still have them winning a bowl game. I told them if I, I saw six wins on the schedule at the start of the year, I increased that to seven as it goes on. So going back to what I said before, I'm clearly wrong with some of these wins and losses at the top of the schedule in the non-conference. However, if you give me that Air Force W on homecoming, I think they have their seven wins because I think they're going to beat UNR. I think they're going to beat Hawaii. With that being said, I told you guys coming into this game, to the season, that they were going to fall probably late October, early November, that they were going to have a three-game losing streak. UNLV might have a five-game losing streak this year. You think they lose to San Diego? I do. You think they lose to Fresno? That I'm on the fence about. I don't know. They can't lose to Fresno now. If they don't have, if they don't have their starting quarterback, the only thing is, though, Logan Fife is not the same Logan Fife that started that first game after uh, Jake Hagner went down. Logan Fife looked comfortable against New Mexico. He looked good against New Mexico. He did throw a touchdown. He did throw an interception. However, this is not the same guy that started that first game. So I just think that if UNLV, in a weird way, I don't know that UNLV might not be better that that's Jake's first game back. I don't know that. You're catching a guy who hasn't played since middle of September. Maybe you luck up. Maybe that's the game you feel better about. I don't like San Diego State. I said what I said about Doug Brumfield for a reason. He's their shot. I guess the fact that Technical State doesn't blow the doors off of teams. I guess you can look at your defense and always say you have a shot, right? But unless his defense is going to score points, Doug Brumfield needs to be your quarterback under center. Um, speaking of center, <laughs> this one I was telling everybody before that I was uh, busy with on Saturday night. I knew I had this UNLV game Saturday morning and I was watching from home. I didn't travel to Indiana. I thought I had a free night. No pun intended. I had a different night. I had to go talk about the Vegas Golden Knights, but it was my first hockey game, and it wasn't just my first hockey game covering. That was my first hockey game, period. I was about to ask. you. That was your first one in, like, in general, right? Period. What'd you think? Amazing. Pretty dope, right? Nah, you know what? I, I will say this. Um, does anybody have an intro like the Vegas Golden Knights? Hell no. That's why they, I, I think it's they're going on two or three years now of being literally awarded the best game presentation in the NHL. I told you before growing up and being a hockey fan and even being a novice hockey fan, I told you before, one of the, I, I grew up a Ducks fan, right? Uh, kind of just made the Angel-Duck connection. I was like, might as well stay in Anaheim. Um, I couldn't say this out loud, but impossible, in my opinion, to watch hockey growing up and watch how the San Jose Sharks came out and not be a fan. I think you were just lying to yourself if you said that. But... I watched the the Vegas Golden Knight, and again, I've watched it from behind a, a phone and in the screen plenty of times. Being in the building and actually watching it, the energy was there. But let's talk about the actual game. Uh, let first of all, it happened almost immediately. Shea Theodore committed a tripping penalty, and it was on a, it was on a one on one breakaway situation. And Matt, you watched the game from home. You were busy. Were you were you busy? Or did you watch the game? Uh, I caught bits and pieces okay. of the game. So, did you see that first tripping penalty? I did. Yeah. Cool. I, I was hoping you did. Um, here's where my novice kicks in. What are the rules in hockey? Because obviously there's un, there's unwritten rules, right, in every sport. And Kobe did it. Rest, God bless the dead. James Harden does it. Manu Ginobili did it. 
Reggie Miller did it. If your hand is out, Chris Paul does it. If your hand is out or your hand is on my hip, I don't care that I don't shoot from my hip. All of a sudden, the ball is coming his way. I'm letting you know. I want to know what the unwritten rules are in hockey when a stick kind of gets in an uncomfortable position and you lock the limb. What happens then? Usually, I mean, depending on, I guess, the officiating crew, usually it's a penalty. Like, usually the next thing that happens is the opposing team goes on a penalty. And, I mean, it, in Colorado's case, wrong team to give a penalty to because they capitalized fairly quickly on it. They're the best team in the NHL on the pen, on the power play, excuse me. I think they came in 46.7%. And I, I tweeted it out, and I was trying to – and hockey fans are fun, yeah. by the way. But I was tweeting out, and um, I, I, I mentioned that, yeah, Colorado came in as the best team on a power play. Vegas, not so much. Um, on the penalty kill – they're a full percent below league average. So make of that what you will. But I text you at the end of the second period and was like, this is easy. This is easy to write. Like the story is writing itself. You've talked about power plays, not just this season, but for the last two seasons, and they still don't have it corrected. I almost want to text back and go, so there. you see the aha moment now when I keep telling you about the power plays? You go, oh, that that's why. Like. This makes sense now. 40 seconds after the Shea Theodore trip, they score. Yeah. Second, am I, where am I, where am I, where am I? 2-1. There we go. Second period. <laughs> Howden is called for slashing. Brett Howden is called for slashing. A minute and a half later. Still on the power play. They light the lamp. Now, Jonathan Marshall saw it was able to score a power play goal late in that first period. That's his fifth goal of the year. He did that 25 seconds into the power play. So the reason why I asked about that lock and limb thing, I saw Mark Stone do it later. And nothing happened. And that's why I was just interested because if you guys did watch that that tripping penalty uh, on Shea Theodore, I forgot exactly who he tripped, but allegedly tripped. But uh, the gentleman locked his legs, and you you saw it, and it was, I mean, like Shay said, what do you want me to do? Like, unless you want me to just let go of the stick. Like, what do you want me to do? I watched Mark Stone. Um, I forgot who was uh, behind him, and he noticed the stick, and I watched Mark Stone lock his left arm. I watched it. I witnessed it, and I, maybe, the, maybe the ref was out of position or whatever the case may be, but I had that question instantly and was like, Okay, these are just the small little rules. I mean, basketball my, basketball is my favorite sport. I've seen somebody drive to the lane. Anthony Edwards does it a lot. Anthony Edwards will pull your shorts. That's a vet move. That is a veteran move. But I was just wondering kind of how it played in the, in, into hockey because I don't think the officiating was bad. I don't. The Knights got a couple of opportunities on the power play as well. Jonathan Marchessault made them start one for one. They went 0 for 3 the rest of the way. I was interested to hear Bruce Cassidy say that he felt at the end of the night, he felt this power play did some pretty good things. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a power play that has been well documented and well on the record that it is in desperate need of revamp. Like, they're probably one of the worst teams on the power play. Like, I don't even know what those standings are. They're 19th in the league. 19th in the league coming into the Colorado game. Okay, so maybe they moved up a couple points. But in any case, that best they're a mid-pack team when it comes to the power play. Let's see if I can find a number for you. A team that is as fast skating as Vegas should not be mid-pack on power play. 
they should be up where Colorado is on the power play with how fast this team skates and how just Vegas's natural style to wanting to get up and down. I pause just for a second. Vegas dropped and Colorado was still at the top, but Colorado was over 50% on the power play now. They're they're hanging around 53. I think it's 52.9. Yeah, that's the defending champ for y'all. It looks like we're repeating champs if you guys don't yeah. fix it. Uh, the Knights actually dropped the point, uh, or dropped rather, dropped a, a, a full spot. Almost said position. There we go. But they dropped the full spot or position in the standings in terms of power play. They are now 20th. To their bottom third of the league. 17.4. 17.4% on the power play. Bottom third in the league, which is, I, I think, we talked about it because there's not very many other areas of this team that you could look at and go, oh, you may want to correct that. Power play is one of those areas. That, and it may be the only area where you go, I mean, I think if you're Bruce Cassidy, you look at that and you go, pretty easy, right? Like, we can dedicate a lot of our practice to the power play. It's our one area we need to fix. All right. Um, power play, penalty kill, whatever you want to do. Hell, if you want to spend a whole week on power play and penalty kill, that's all we're doing in practice, then so be it. I'm not mad at it. I haven't been to practice uh, since – well, first of all, I haven't been to a practice, period. But <laughs> I didn't go to their practice uh, after I covered the Colorado game. But I can almost tell you, guarantee you what he worked on. He said he, even though he liked the power play in moments, he didn't like the team's puck management. So that was pretty interesting. And we talked about Logan Thompson fighting for his life in that first period, right? I think Logan Thompson endeared, as if he hasn't already endeared himself to, this Vegas, to these Vegas fans, I think a lot of people at the end of that first period was like, get him some help. If nothing else, keep the puck on the other side of the ice. Like, he is fin. I watched at one point early in the game, he lost his stick. And I was I was ready. I was like, go ahead and light the lamp. Go ahead and get 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 uh, get your scorecard ready. Just get ready for it. And he came away unscathed. And I said that I feel like the confidence that the building has in the goalie that has been lacking for a long time. I don't know, man. I I don't I don't know very many times that you can come out of a game a losing game and feel good about a goalie in hockey, but. I feel really good about what I saw from Logan Thompson in this loss to the defending champs. We were talking about the power play. I know you're not necessarily covering this team, but what the hell is going on with Columbus? Columbus. In case you guys are wondering, they're last on the power play. They don't have a power play goal on the season. Wow. That's embarrassing. Like, I thought Vegas was embarrassing. No, that's that's I don't know. Man. That's really embarrassing. 32 to 31 goals from zero. From Colorado, or excuse me, Columbus, definitely not Colorado. From Columbus with 0%, and it jumped straight to Montreal with 5.6. So they got some climbing to do. Yeah. Yeah, Columbus. It could be worse. Remember that, Vegas fans. Could be worse. We could be Columbus. But Columbus won on over the weekend. They beat uh, Rangers 5-1. Hey, now. So. That's their highlight of the year, like the – you're really going to have the whole city of Columbus in your DMs be like, uh-uh. We ain't I almost what? had a whole other city in there, too, because I almost took a couple shots. Uh, be like, hang on a second. What you say about our city? What you say about our team? I told you, it's just certain cities. I'm not talking about period. I'm just not doing it. I don't care. I want to frequent those cities. Right. Um, no, but you're you're actually headed to the T-Mobile tonight. Uh, Vegas is back in action. They are hosting. This is the end of their three-game homestand. Am I right? Yep. yep. This is the end of their three-game homestand. They welcome in the Toronto Maple Leafs. You talked about it before. I don't know if you even know the answer to your question, but when was the last time the Knights were home dogs? Last time they were home dogs. It had to have been some at some point last season. 
maybe later on last season. I think they had a Colorado game late in the season. It's always tough, though, because, like, <sighs> Vegas is so popular here. Right. Like, it might be different out of state, like, at some other some other state sports. Like, maybe you get a little more favorable. Like, here, though, like, that's why I say, like, I looked at the line. I said, oh, they're dogs tonight. Like, that's a little – because it's so – it takes so much in Vegas particularly – for the Knights to be a home dog. Mm-hmm. Like a, a dog in, in general because people love betting on the Knights, good, bad, or indifferent. Here's your numbers. Like you said, it is pretty much a pick at this point based on FanDuel. Shout out to FanDuel. Yeah. We're looking at some of you guys' numbers. We got the over-under. We got the spread finally. So we got some numbers for you. Yeah. So, I mean, typically Vegas is minus, you know, whatever you want to fill in on most games, just beca- especially here just because of uh, – I mean, people call it, it's probably called protection or something like that for on the book side of things. They they want to try and grab some other uh, money for the opposing side. So if they're, in this case, if they wanted to grab Toronto money, they, they could. But in this case, judging off of, I, I think we had saw before the show, like Toronto minus 120, Vegas yep. uh, plus 100, whatever. That tells me they're actually a little bit heavier on the Toronto side. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, we need to go get some Vegas money. So... That's why it just caught me a little bit off guard because I would feel at the worst, especially here in town, Vegas is like minus 110. Like mm-hmm. it's like they are based on FanDuel. It's very rare that they get to the point where they're a, a home dog nonetheless. Like a dog is rare. A dog at home? Ooh. But, I mean, I told you before we went on, I was like, I looked at that and said, I don't know what y'all want me to do with that. <laughs> like, I really don't. You did say that. Because I can I, it's one of those I can make a case both ways. I could say that, yeah, this is going to be a bounce back game for Vegas, and th- they're going to take strides forward. I, I've been around the Vegas team long enough to know. Oh no, Toronto could very well come in to this building and win tonight. You talked about it beforehand. We're going to see what it looks like tonight. As I said before, you're headed into the T-Mobile Arena. You headed in there with some family tonight too, as yeah, well. Yeah, so, a little, little uh, somewhat night off. I'll say that. Yeah, somewhat half, night. half and half. Yeah, you know? yeah, we, we we call that even money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what's Oh, man. But I want to double down on my point really quick. Uh, I've talked about it for a little bit, and now I'm finally here to say that this is exactly what it is. I was finally in the T-Mobile Arena for the purpose that it was built, which was a Vegas Golden Knight game. And everything that I said before has come back tenfold. That building feels like you're sitting on top of each other. And most of the time when I say that, and most of the time when people say that, you don't want that. That's exactly what you want in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a sporting environment. Every time there's a cheer, it's almost like a roar. Anytime there's a boo, it's an echo. Like, it's insane in that building. I double and triple down after my experience this weekend. I don't think there's a better building in all of Las Vegas to watch a sporting event. The ballpark is number two, or vice versa. Flip them. I couldn't. I, I, take, take your pick. That's my pick em. When the sun sets at the ballpark, the aviators could be down 17 to 6. I wouldn't even know. Oh, they have been before. Okay, we can move on. Okay. <laughs> um, Multiple times, actually. I said move on. <laughs> that was the part I said. Um, random is all hell. You got Colorado and the New York Rangers tomorrow. 
That's a good game. Ooh, that's a good game. I don't know, man. Just my 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 sports antennas just went up. I was just, I got excited. I don't know. <laughs> I got excited, man. I don't know. I'm, Who you got? I'm gonna say Colorado. I'm leaning toward Colorado. Colorado barely though. Like New York's gonna give them a great, a great game. Oh, for sure. This is gonna be an amazing game. You think New York leads at any point? Maybe. Yeah, they may jump out early. Okay. Said early. Better hope they don't leave late. Uh, as of right now, the Knights are in, well, they're tied for first place in the Pacific Division. They both have eight points, and I say both because the other team that they are tied with would be the Calgary Flames. Calgary's 4-1-0 and on the year. The Knights are 4-2-0. and <clears throat> While Colorado and, who did I just mention? Colorado and New York Rangers, while they play tomorrow. You want to know what else happens tomorrow? Hmm. Let's see if I have this email up. Matt, what is that email regarding that's on my phone? The one that is highlighted. Let's see. That's what I'll be doing in the morning. Oh, you're going to be at preseason media for the G League. Yeah, man. So the G League night, they have their media day tomorrow. I'm excited. Uh, I'm sure that this group is excited, right? New building. New building. New excitement. New opportunities. This G League, G League Ignite team, excuse me, is finally getting a full G League season. So we're going to get to see them, I believe, 50 times this year. So I'm excited to see it. November 4th, the season officially kicks off. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I think it's a Friday night. Uh, we got to talk to your guy, Joey. <laughs> we got to see what Joey's doing. But we'll, we'll see who will be in building in the Dollar Loan Center November 4th for the season opener for the G League Ignite. But – Head coach Jason Hart, I think if you uh, talk about a basketball mind, I think we, we talk about these point guards, right, These all these different point guards over the years, and especially growing up a fan in this game, you may not necessarily remember Jason Hart and remember scoring numbers and things of that nature, but he was always a consistent backup point guard for somebody's team, and there's a reason for that. So just being able to be a, a, around some of the press conferences for Jason Hart, for Coach Hart, um, it's a different energy, but this it's also a different intelligence level that comes with it. So I know I probably shouldn't just be there's gonna be a lot of stories to tell, but I'm super excited to see the maturation process of this team. I think more than others, I think we're gonna be able to watch this team and watch certain members of this team mature as the season goes. I'm interested to see how much maturity happens on the court and also how much maturity happens off the court. You got a lot of young guys on this team. You got a lot of good young players that he can mold, uh, obviously, and then still see move forward in this league. I, I'm I'm just excited. As I said before, Scoot Henderson is is projected as of right now as a number two overall pick. Uh, Leonard Miller was a top pick at, at one point in time in, in a lot of projections. Uh, Sharif O'Neal, we know the, the storyline that follows him at all times. As I said before, man, I'm just excited. I'm excited to see it. So we're going to finally see Pardon. This team be introduced to the Las Vegas media tomorrow. I'm excited, man. Pardon. They sent us a full little itinerary. Yeah, I'm just. I looked at the itiner itinerary for a brief moment, and I saw that, like, we had, like, a, I don't know if it's, like, a luncheon or, like, a breakfast, like, for the media. And I seen that, and then I seen the players, the coaches, stuff like that. So I was like, oh, okay. Oh, this is a thing. I was like, oh, like, I didn't. I thought I was going to show up, take some pictures, talk to some guys as they're done with their pictures, and get out of there. Like, no. 
we're going to see this team officially, the G League Ignite, tomorrow. I think Henderson is theirs. We talked about it all the time. Henderson and the Silver Knights. I don't know, man. Now you have your Ignite. You got your Silver Knights. Dollar Loan Center. Henderson is theirs. So I think now you're going to get your opportunity to see the Ignite. Snatch it. I think they're going to say this is our turn. This is this is what it looks like. If you want to talk about the product on the floor. You ready? I think this team has talent in places that a lot of other teams aren't going to. In, in several places that other teams aren't going to. I think the camaraderie that a lot of these other teams have may show early. And... I don't know if it, if it results in wins or losses, but I could see this team. Josh McDaniels said it this past week. He said it yesterday, as a matter of fact. He said sometimes uh, when the Raiders were down 10-3 to to Houston, he said sometimes you think about all the practice and the work that you did leading into the week, and you come into the game and you want to question yourself and say, well, why is this so hard? And he gave a bunch of reasons as to why it would be so hard. And I think that's what the Ignite are going to be asking themselves. They're going to they're, they're running through practices. We saw them against uh, Metro, the Metropolitan 92s, which houses Victor Wimbayama, who is – more than likely. The number one overall pick, 7-5, and has a Jimmy. Uh, I think you're going to get, as I said before, that's why I'm watching the maturity level. I want to know what happens when this team doesn't have that regular 11, 12, 13-game stretch that they had last year, almost a teaser. You got a full season. Jason Hart talked about it at the end of the first preseason game. You guys are going to have to travel. You're going to have to weigh with – like, you're going to have to wear – the wear and tear of an NBA season. And it's not even a full 82. Like, so he was saying it's going to be a lot for these young men to learn. As I said before, I don't really know too many guys, especially at this NBA level that has, especially at this point of his career, his coaching career, that has the wherewithal to appeal to these men on the court as well as off the court, especially being in Vegas. I, I, think, I, I think more than anything, I'm probably more excited to have Jason Hart as the leader of this group. You got something? Just random as hell. I can't be the only person that was at that uh, preseason game against Metropolitan 92s and looked up and said, oh, Victor's taller in person. Very much so. You said how tall? Oh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it it all makes sense. No facts, bro. I looked up, I said, that's a cheat code. He That's was a- stretching with teammates in like a circle. And I was like, um, I said something. And I was talking to Ben. Shout out to Ben Golliver from the Washington Post. I was talking to Ben. And we were talking about the first round pick. And somebody walked up. And I guess they were trying to figure out who to take pictures of. And they were talking to somebody else. And they was like, so which one is the is the uh, one that everybody's talking about? The really tall And I kind of laughed. It was like, dog, look at the court. Take a wild guess. <laughs> Take a wild guess, bro. Throw something at a wall and see if it's thick. He's the tallest person in the building. Take a wild guess. Like, bro. you can't miss him. Literally. You and can't. then you look at the other side and you see what Scoot is doing in the layup lines and you're like, okay, it's one of these guys. I know. It has to be one of these two guys. But, again, I'm excited to see what this G League Ignite team holds. Uh, I, I do think – I'm going I'm to back up. I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up. Because part of me wants to say that this team may struggle early. Could. I said the exact same thing about the Aces. 
Well, if that's the case, then please do say this team's going to struggle early. All right, this team's going to struggle early. Thank you. I'm waiting for this team to struggle early, but I, I really do think it's coming. I do. I could be wrong, but I think there's a real possibility that this team uh, gets in there and <sighs> this is going to sound crazy because they're all professionals, but I do feel like there's going to be a, a, a wake-up call at some point. I think a lot of these guys um, just understand that they're talented. They're super talented. And I think early in the in early in the beginning of the uh, season, I just feel like you might see maybe some one-on-one moments, maybe some guys feeling like they have to kind of do it all. I mean, down nine with six minutes left, you don't have to go up there and chuck a three. So I, I, I'm just wondering how those situations are going to pan out with this young team. But as I said before, I think Jason Hart is the kind of the perfect guy to lead them. But – well, we'll see. Time will tell. Let's start some baseball. My dad's tip in is on baseball. Let me see what my dad's tip in look like. My dad's tip in. This is another reason that I love sports. You never really know what's going to happen. If someone would have bet me before the MLB playoffs started that the Dodgers, Yankees, and Padres would all not only fall short, but wouldn't even make it to the fall classic, I would have definitely taken that bet and felt really good about it. Needless to say, that would have been a that would have been a lesson learned and money lost. As the saying goes, on any given day or night, any team can beat any other team. Let's talk about how we got here to this World Series. I'm starting with the NL. Why? Because we have a UNLV product starting at shortstop in the World Series. Let's fucking go. I don't have anything else. I mean, that's <laughs> I have nothing else, dog. That's why I'm rooting for the Phillies. Like, people ask me, well, who you got now that, you know, the Dodgers are out? I'm like, Phillies, of course. Like, you got Harper and, Bry- and Bryson Stott. Like, those are, that's the sole reason. That's the only reason I can give you. Don't ask me to, to name off starting pitching. Don't ask me to name off th- those two guys. Like, that's it. Like, yeah, they got 702 ties. Like, all right, bet. We'll, we'll roll with that. So, and I, please don't let the Astros win this. Like, we, we can't have the Astros win this World Series. We're going to get to the Astros because. We're gonna get to the Astros. There's a there's a big story to be had about the Astros. If they win this, this oh one, man, oh. oh, there's such a big story to be had about that. I can't wait to get to it. Uh, let let's let's stay with let's stay with Philly for a second, right? We'll pat ourselves on the back for knowing Bryson Stott in a second. Um, but no, in all seriousness, Bryce Harper. I want to start a couple different places. I want to talk about his home run, and I want to talk about his initial move to Philly. You want to go? Sure. Which one you want? Either one. Either one. I'm going to start with the initial move to Philly. Uh, knew some people at the time that – let's see how much I want to give out here. As you said before, similar to what Becky Hammond said during the parade, right, when she said her career started in New York and everybody booed her, and she was like, it's all good now, right? I would think now it's all good. So let me rock. Let Bryce Harper rock after what I'm about to tell you guys. Based on some reporting that I had previously before he signed in Philly, a lot of people thought he was going to San Diego. Some of the conversation that got back to me was Bryce was thinking if it was ever a conversation about the same money and you're asking me to choose between San Diego and Philadelphia, what do you think I'm going to choose? San Diego. Some people have told me that it took a little convincing to get Bryce to go to Philly. I remember when Bryce made the announcement, or when the announcement was made that Bryce Harper signed in Philly, 
I got to be honest, I put myself in this seat and I said, can I see Bryce Harper leading the Phillies to a World Series? And I said, I don't know. I said, I don't know. I said, the main thing is, I talk about the parody in baseball all the time. I said, if he's able to do it, will we even view Bryce as Bryce anymore? Like, will he be one of those guys in the outfield on a star, on a, on a, on a star-studded cast of young guys, almost Atlanta-esque? What, what if he's the Freddie Freeman version of that? And now let's fast forward to now. Let's fast forward to now. Not only does Bryce Harper is Bryce Harper still that guy in that lineup? Bryce Harper has the swing to do it. Now, if you just want me to completely nerd out, you were here when I nerded out over Byron Buxton's uh, All-Star Game home run. I said, fam, it was eye level. Like he, We're taught to not even look at that pitch. That ball was not only down and away for Bryce Harper, it was out of the strike zone. I grew up an Angel fan. Vlad Guerrero is my favorite hitter to ever watch hit the ball growing up. Till you get older, you realize King Griffey Jr. is probably the best to ever do it. But I look back to Vlad, and I used to want to learn how to hit like Vlad. And I would look how he would go down in the bottom of the zone, and he would he, he would he would dig up pitches. Again, we're in the moment. I understand that. I couldn't tell you what I felt as a sports fan, just a sports fan. To know what that home run meant and where he hit it. Because there's no way in here you're supposed to make contact, let alone hit a homer, let alone hit it to opposite field. I don't know, man. Say something. You you said you got the Phillies too, so I don't know, man. So Bryce Bryce wrote himself into the into the baseball history books this weekend. I don't care what happens the rest of his career. I truthfully couldn't care. Yeah, sports god had that uh they had that home run like that's it, it sci- scientifically didn't make sense <laughs> it didn't it didn't make any sense whatsoever you know the sports guys picked that ball up and shoved it over left field they were like they they chucked it they were like no we'll get this thing out of here like fam i i don't understand it and then again just everything just he didn't milk it too much like I and that's what's weird because I tell you guys all the time if I had to walk off home I'm sitting down at home plate, but <laughs> I'm walking around. I'm thinking Fam, about I'm doing cartwheels, <laughs> bro. I'm man. I'm dancing. I'm moonwalking. I'm doing whatever I want. I got 90 seconds to get around this joint. I'm gonna take all of them. Is there a t- is there a time? I think there is a time limit because Marlon oh. Bird. I remember Marlon Bird. He uh had the slowest trot in like a certain amount of time. It was like based on so and so's trot. Um. But I think I think you do have a certain amount of time to pass to cross home plate. What happens if you go over that? You're ruled out. It's like when you cross and you don't. It's like when you uh, when you're when you're rounding the bases and let's say you don't step on first base, they rule you out. Oh, so take take all the time if you want to. <laughs> but he didn't milk it too much. He didn't milk it not enough. Like. Him and again, if you guys know any any of these stories, I follow Bryce Harper and uh, what he does with his hands after he hit a home, after he hits a home run. That's the universal sign language for "I love you." That's a tribute to his mom. So seeing that when he crosses first, uh, when he crosses first base, Bryce typically does that when he steps across home plate. So if you understand that small characteristic of it, the emotions were pouring out of Bryce before he crossed home plate 
those are the moments for me that I said, I don't care how this World Series goes even. Bryce Harper wrote himself into baseball lore with that moment. And especially Las Vegas. (laughs) As if Las Vegas needed another reason to love Bryce Harper, they got another one. Speaking of Las Vegas as well, I don't think we can ever bet against the Astros again. Is it sad to say that I might do it this World Series just because? I want Philly to win. I don't think I can bet against Houston anymore. I just I need them to have I need them to go back to the NL Astros when they were ten years straight of just bad anything and anything anybody that wasn't named Carlos Lee or Lance Berkman you just didn't pay attention to. Until they go back there, they're off it for me. You know you know what it does for me if they win this title and this is gonna sound kind of blasphemous probably to some people because of the cheating scandal which let me address really quick too i think the houston astros are a perfect example of somebody who let's say let's see let's say somebody um has all the has all the trust in the world in their their music ability whatever the case may be and then you get famous and your first song is a record that somebody else wrote but you go back to saying well oh no i can write my own i can write my own nah we don't believe like, that's not yours. Somebody else did that. And now you go back and you write a classic. Not even a re- classic record. This is a classic album. Okay, well, if you could do it that whole time, why you had that person write it for you? I feel the exact same way with Houston. Because the more and more that I watch this team, I think they didn't need to do that. That cheating scandal is going to make us, of course, look at them and say, oh, well, they were crazy, they were crazy, they were crazy. I think what their evidence is going to be moving forward in history is whatever stretch they're in the middle of right now. They're going to say, so what happened when you guys found out? Cool. We won four out of the next eight, two out of the next six. I don't care what they win. The Houston Astros haven't gone anywhere since we found out. They're still at the top. Anybody want to make sense of it? They lose Carlos Correa. They lose George Springer. They're in the World Series. What you got on Houston? I mean, like you said, I can't really make a whole lot of sense of it because I thought this team was done and out after the cheating scandal. I thought, yep, Houston's gonna this is gonna be the end of the road for them. And I mean they're gonna be they'll be all right, but they ain't gonna be like that. And no, they're they're like that. <laughs> they are like that. And I'm like, okay. So You know that they haven't lost the game? In the playoffs? They are 7-0. and They swept Seattle. They just swept the Yankees. Interesting. We got another. We have a conversation to have. We have a serious conversation to have. Remember, remember everything I said on Monday? When I said, oh, they, they, they've beaten the Yankees at or in Texas before. Let's see what happens when they go to the Bronx. They blanked the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. That's bad. Fam, what? Part of me wants to say, though, that Houston is now more than overdue. Uh, part of me wants to say Houston definitely cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of me wants to look at the dugout and be like, wait, are they still bro. making all those trash cans? Like, At this point, they can't have a trash can in the dugout. No, you like, go throw it out in the locker room or something. Like, Just put all the trash cans on the opposing side team. Oh, no, opposing team side. They can't, they can't get trash cans anymore because at this point, nothing makes sense. No. I mean, at this, I, I will say this: if they do not win this World Series, I'm gonna be heartbroken for Dusty Baker. That's fair. 
I won't be heartbroken for the Astros at all. <laughs> but yeah, I mean Dusty Dusty Baker ain't doing nothing wrong. Dusty's a good guy, one of the good guys in baseball. I, I can't I can't say that he's not. And I'm sure Paul Blackburn, who rode with Houston to the All Star game, I'm pretty sure he would say the same thing about Dusty. <clears throat> you want to talk about the Yankees at all? I mean, they're at home. Like they're they're at home at home for the rest of the season. Uh, is Aaron Judge there <laughs> for a couple more seasons? That's the that's the question. Because I don't know, man. Regular season historic historic regular season. Historically bad postseason. I don't know, bro. Shout out to Dick Calvert. Me and Dick Calvert talked about uh, what number Aaron Judge was going to get. I am here to tell him I am fully backing off of that number after seeing what I just saw. You want to know what bothers me about it more than anything? People aren't scared of Aaron Judge, it doesn't appear. Remember how what I said during the regular season? And there were, we saw it, trepidation. People don't want to pitch to him. Maybe, like you said before, people just don't want to be number 62. They don't want to be the answer to the trivia question. It doesn't appear that people are afraid of Aaron Judge, though. No. We got what? We finished with what? 63 on the year? Did he even get to 63? I thought he had 62. Let's figure it out. Aaron Judge, home run numbers. Aaron Judge, ESPN stats. This season, 62. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, he flirts with triple crowns and everything. Yeah. I don't know, man. I guess we'll figure it out. I actually do want to get out of here. It's 4.30. I told you guys we had about an hour and a half or so. I just want to uh, touch on a brief topic really quick. My dad's tip in. I would have assumed was on it, but it's not. Shout out to my guy. Um, UFC 280. And, wow. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I'm trying to figure out how to even talk about this event. I feel like I'm tired of saying the UFC always does it. Uh, what I will say is... <laughs> I love Vegas, and I love mixed martial arts. I understand how much the UFC has uprooted here. And, of course, when you think of... um. The Ultimate Fighter, it's a Vegas show. You know what I mean? When you look at the Apex, we we, we drive by the Apex almost daily. Like, we understand what it is. It appears that ever since the pandemic, the UFC being blessed with the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I think it's going to happen, so I don't even think it's a question of whether it's going to happen or not. I think that it absolutely should, and I'm waiting for the moment that Abu Dhabi becomes synonymous with the UFC. This card was amazing. Insane. So I only have time to talk about the three last fights, obviously, on the card. Patreon and Sean O'Malley. I, I tweeted it almost as soon as the fight was over. I didn't even care who won. I said they needed five rounds. Not the co-main event. That was the third fight on the main card. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Anytime you have those two weights that can do that much damage going at each other, 
future Jan. We knew he was going to press the pace. We knew he was going to um, try to wrestle at, in moments. Sean O'Malley, we already know what the Sugar Show does. So we were trying to see if the Sugar Show was actually – uh, game for these big for these big lights, and I mean, Putrian, his last three fights have been for a championship. So I mean, you understand what you're up against. And one one judge did give the fight to Jan, but the other two gave it to Sean O'Malley. Split decision victory for Sean O'Malley. Uh, Dana White did say whoever won this fight, a championship uh, fight was next for him. If that's the case, Sean O'Malley will be facing Aljo. He will be facing Aljamain Sterling after he beat T.J. Dillashaw. And I just want to highlight. Uh, just the warrior spirit of these athletes for a brief moment because T.J. Dillashaw said his shoulder slipped out of his socket in April while training for this fight. He said he dislocated his shoulder 20 times in training camp. So over the last six months, he's dislocated his shoulder 20 times. I watched it during the fight. Aljo went to go wrestle. As soon as he went to wrestle, uh, TJ put his arm down And when he went to go put his arm down You saw it sink a little lower than it should have That was in the first round I'm going to give you guys the numbers on this fight really quick It officially goes down as a TKO for Aljamain Sterling But he got the TKO at the 3 minute 44 second mark of the second round TJ Dillashaw, Dillashaw excuse me, fought at least 3.5 minutes in that first half Or in that first uh, round With his left shoulder dislocated insane he said that he let referee mark goddard know prior to coming out that nine times out of ten his shoulder was going to pop out and if it does to not stop the fight mark goddard i don't think i will ever be in an octagon but i want to let you know something right now if you see any joint <laughs> not the way i not the way it was when i came in Please stop that fight. <laughs> Get me the hell out of there. TJ Dillashaw is a monster. He he finishes the fight. He uh or he gets finished in the fight. He gets up and the first thing he says is he wants to apologize for the division for for holding it holding it down for so long. He apologizes for holding it up rather, holding it up for so long. He said that he understood that. Uh, I mean TJ never lost the belt. Let's be honest. TJ never lost his his bantamweight title. Uh, we understand the issues that TJ Dillashaw went through. Uh, in terms of PEDs, but I mean, it, it's it, it, I tell people all the time, you always see how a person handles it after the fact. So a lot of people were questioning, especially with his previous PED use, he wasn't on UFC Embedded, where they show training camps, things of that nature. So everybody was like, well, what is TJ doing? Is TJ doing some stuff that we don't want to see? It's unbelievable that TJ didn't want cameras there because TJ was injured since April. So. Big props to TJ Dillashaw in this last fight. Unfortunately, it will be one of the shorter ones for me to kind of get through. Only because it was the shortest fight of the three in this one. It was a, a finish in the second round at three minutes and 16 seconds. Islam Makachev, excuse me. Islam Makachev finishes Charles Oliveira. And I, I said before, I, I thought Charles was going to uh, put Islam in a, in a position that maybe we had never seen before. And that just wasn't it. Islam Makachev... Uh, <laughs> Shout out to Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review And I was talking to Adam And he said the moment that Islam In his opinion The moment that Islam wrestled with Charles And went to the ground And he realized he wasn't in danger Islam knew he had it in the bag Because this is where you're dominant So if I'm down here with you And I'm not worried Fam I could beat you wherever I want now And that's exactly what it looked like I told Adam Hill I said the one thing that I did view 
And if it, it ran a little different to me because I don't know how often you can say that you actually see it, but I saw a moment where Islam grabbed Charles and I saw Charles' eyes get big. And I told Adam, I said, I think in that moment, Charles said, he's much stronger than I thought. I knew in that. Once I saw his eyes get big, I said, Charles has no shot. Charles has no shot in this fight. And again, Charles Oliveira has been a different person since moving to 155 from 145. It didn't look like it mattered with Islam. <laughs> so after the fight, Islam Habib, they call out Alexander Volkanovsky, who was the 145 champ. I don't know, man. Volk is 5'4". I won't tell you guys what Adam Hill said. You guys got to go check out Adam Hill for that one. But me and Adam Hill had a conversation about it. It doesn't look like Volk should be, you know what I mean, uh, possibly considered for this win. And I know in fighting you always want to give um, respect to both sides, but I know a lot of people are going to look at Volk's size and think, oh, well, he has no shot if, if Charles Oliveira just got manhandled like this. I had to remind my dad, Alexander Volkanovsky, regardless of how tall he is, I think he's 5'4". Alexander Volkanovsky, who fights at 145 pounds, used to play rugby and used to weigh 400 pounds. Everybody who gets in a cage with Volk, they say after the fact, he's a tank. He's much stronger than he looks. What happens if Islam gets grabbed by Volk and he goes, this dude is stronger than I thought. I don't know, man. I got some weeks, some months, hell, maybe some years before I tell you guys exactly how I feel about that one, but you might have to pay me for that tape. We'll see what happens. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking. <laughs>